Hey, what's up Seekers? Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. We're doing a little series here at the channel on Hasidism. In the first video we spoke about its history and its philosophy. In this video we're going to continue to dig into the metaphysics of Hasidism with a focused discussion on its directionality. Hasidot has two primary directions. One direction is a drive towards transcendence, and the other is a return to imminence. These two directions play out both into the divine realm and in the human realm. I'd like to use this directional formula as a framework within which to try lay out the terrain of Hasidic thought. Let us explore these two poles, these two directions in Hasidic experience, thought, and practice. The two primary poles on either end of this equation in the divine realm are divine immanence and divine transcendence, immediacy and distance. Hasidic thought is best known for its immanentism, for its God who is fundamentally near, intimate and close, but to simply leave it at that would do a grave injustice to the same Hasidic thinking which never abandons its staunch commitment to a God who is simultaneously transcendent and beyond. Those are the two poles on the divine level, divine immanence and divine transcendence, both caught in an exquisite, intricate dance with one another, often frankly dizzying and baffling to the observer. We find the same corresponding duality or polarity, these two directions, on the human level in what Hasidut calls Avodah, the realm of human service, worship, or spiritual work. The first direction is called Ratsui, after the running of the angels in the vision of the prophet Ezekiel towards the human god figure perched upon the chariot. It's a movement of soaring, of yearning, of running, thirsting after the more, after the divine, away from the mundane towards the direction of the light, a pining for the infinite. This direction of Ratsui is the name that Hasidut gives to the quest for transcendence, to cleave to and unite with God, conceived as something above and beyond, yet somehow attainable. The second directionality of the Hasid is that of returning, shuv, retreating from the beyond, away from that burning source of the light, back towards the world, in the hope of bringing some of that light, the shefa, the hashba'ah, the divine flow, back into the mundane, to suffuse the corporeal, the material and the worldly, with that of the sublime, the incandescent, the iridescent, the luminous, to bring meaning into the meaningless, love to the loveless, and hope to the hopeless. The ultimate aim of these directions, as formulated in some Hasidic traditions, is to make a dwelling place for the above in the below, a dira b'tachtonim, created by running and retreating, by heroically crossing the boundaries and borders of above and below, of without and within, dragging traces of one another into the other, a cosmic osmosis, bringing to each that which it lacks from the other, bringing light into darkness, spirituality to materiality, purpose to purposelessness, but also bringing body and weight to the drifting, fluttering, ethereal, and ephemeral spirit. Chassidut makes the radical claim that the soul needs body just like body needs soul, and that God needs world just like the world needs God. Championing and revisioning the call of Isaac Luria, the Arizal, Liyached Yechudim, to unite unifications, until the boundary crossing becomes so fluent and seamless that the boundaries themselves cease to exist, to the point where I end and you begin fades blissfully into oblivion. This is still just a schematic outline, 
Let's continue the work of colouring in the picture with the colours and words of the Hasidic tradition itself. We must begin with the foundational posture of all Hasidic thought, from which it all begins and to that which it all ends, namely divine immanentism, the here and nowness of God, the closeness of God, and the accompanying Hasidic pantheism, the assertion that Ein Oed Mulvado, there is nothing but God, the motto and battle cry of Hasidism. Hasidic thinkers grounded these two postulations, which are really one, on earlier canonical declarations such as we've been quoting throughout the series, verses like Isaiah 6.3, the whole world is filled with your glory, or Jeremiah 23.24, do I not fill the heavens and earth, declares the Lord. And these Oharic proclamations, like late Atar Panumine, there is no place devoid of God. The Hasidic thinkers take this to the next level, with radical statements such as this one attributed to the Baal Shem Tov, the founding father of Hasidut, nothing exists in this world except the absolute unity which is God. We could quote dozens if not hundreds of such quotes from Hasidic thinkers of every dynasty because of just how foundational and axiomatic this idea was and still is for Hasidic thinking. It is the true theological cornerstone upon which all else is built. For sake of brevity, however, we'll suffice with quoting the Baal Shem Tov one more time. In Kesar Shem Tov, the first published work of the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, there are two recorded versions of this one teaching. The first reads, Der Ebishter is Alts, God is everything, and the second reads, Alts is der Ebishter, everything is God. Not an insignificant difference between those two versions, if you're reading carefully, but let us leave that for now. Beneath this line from the Kesar Shem Tov, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, underlined and commented, I hope you don't mind me reading the Hebrew words before translating, by the way, they're just really, really rich. And upon this foundation, that everything is God, and that God is everything, moves and turns all of the Torah and her commandments, with a variety of clarifications and explanations according to the ways of understanding the teachings of Hasidot for the entirety of the life of the person upon the face of this earth. And here's one more, because I can't help myself. Rabbi Yehuda Aryaleib, the third Gaya Rebbe, known as the Sfas Emes, writes with particular candor in a letter to his grandchildren and great-grandchildren about the meaning of the Shema, the classic Jewish declaration of faith from the book of Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, Adonai is our God, Adonai is one, Shema Israel, Adonai Leheno, Adonai Echad, the Sfas Emes writes, The proclamation of the oneness that we declare each day in saying Shema Israel needs to be understood as it truly is. That which is entirely clear to me Based on the holy writings of the great Kabbalists, I'm obliged to reveal to you. The meaning of God is one is not that God is the only true God, negating other gods, but the meaning is deeper than that. The meaning of the Shema is that there is no other being other than God. This is true even though it seems otherwise to most people. Everything that exists in the world, spiritual and physical, is God. These things are true without a doubt, and because of this, every person can attach themselves to God wherever they are, through the holiness that exists in every single thing, even physical things. This is the foundation of all the mystical formulations of the world. The basic metaphysical and cosmological schema at play within the tradition of Jewish mysticism to ground such wild theological pronouncements should already be familiar to anyone who's been following the series diligently, but in case you need a quick refresher, here is the basic cosmic story according to Kabbalah. In the beginning of the creation of heavens and earth, God's first act of creativity was an act of humility, of contracting God's infinite presence 
to create a void, the makom hachalal, a place empty of the overpowering awareness and presence of God's existence, a space for agnosticism, an area within which an other could emerge, an other who could possess free will to choose to form a relationship with God if they so desired. What emerges in this place we call the world, and this part of God made other we call the human. However, says Chassidot, truth be told, from God's point of view, this place of the void was never really void of God at all. To quote Rabbi Shner Zalman of Le'adi, the Alter Rebbe and the founder of the Chabad Chassidic dynasty, it seems to us in the lower worlds as if the light and life force of God, the Blessed One, were something apart from God's blessed self. Yet, from God's perspective, there is no tzimtzum, concealment and occultation that could conceal and hide before God. For the tzimtzumim, the concealments and garments, are not things distinct from God's blessed self, God forbid, but are like the snail whose shell is part of its very self. God always was and is fully present, and all that exists within the void only has existence because it is being directly recreated by the word of God in every single moment, entirely dependent on the perpetual creative kinetic energy coming from being from God itself, and would be entirely obliterated, null and void, were not for God's constant presence enlivening it, enlivening us. And in doing so, God, the Ein Sof, literally the one without end, invests, manifests, and embodies itself in our reality, in the corporeal and the material, in the act of giving it life. To quote Hafiz Ladinsky, you are the sun in drag. You are God hiding from yourself. Shh, don't tell anyone. It's a secret. Throughout Hasidic teaching, we find the notion that once securely attached to God, there is no harm in returning to the world, to the mundane, because all phenomena that appears in one's perceptual field are nothing but God, theophanies of the divine. Permission is given to see the divine not only in the house of study and the house of prayer, but even in the marketplace, a traffic jam, the kitchen and bedroom. Like a lover so wrapped in the thought of their beloved, that nothing they encounter can distract them from their love, for in all they see, they see but the image of their beloved. We perceive our world as material and coarse, said Shleiman Lutzger, a student of the Magid, a student of the Bashamtiv, only because we chase after empty goals and physical desires. However, if we were discerning and adhered only to the pleasantness and sweetness of the light of God, and the constant performance of the mitzvot in this world, proven to be good and valuable, for then in every place one sees nothing but the sweetness and pleasantness of the vital energies of the blessed Creator, the Chayus Habaira, as it is written, and you give life to all va'ata mechayas kulam, you fill and surround all worlds, iho memalev iosevev kolamen, in every place one can commune with the Creator of the world, for there is no place empty of God. Thus the entire world is nothing but a portal and gate, to perceiving and communing with God. And this is where the two-way directionality we were talking about earlier comes back into play. For just as God contracts, hides, and conceals God's self in matter and materiality in the world, so can the human and the world in general unveil, reveal, and expose themselves and their true identity in God. This, writes Shnerzaman of Liadi, is the purpose of reality. Quote, that which in creation went from being infinite to being finite might be reversed from its state of finitude to again become infinite. This directional notion of the infinite becoming finite and the finite becoming infinite is central to Hasidic thinking. In the language of Hasidut, that which is ayin, nothing, but also infinite nothingness with a capital N, 
becomes yesh, something, that which is, existence. So that, that which is yesh, an existent thing, or in some contexts, ego, can become ayin, nothing, nullified, and thereby infinite. Yesh became ayin so that ayin could become yesh. Nothingness became being so that being could become nothingness. Eat your heart out, Parmenides, Parmenides and Athanasius. What's tricky here is that both these terms are being used in different ways to refer to different things. Just to break it down for a second. God here is called both ayin and yesh because God, for the Hasidic thinkers, is both that which is ayin, nothing, no thing, not an object, God is imperceivable, incomprehensible, the existence of which does not need even to exist to exist, according to Chastut, and is simultaneously yesh, being, being that God is the only true being, and is being itself, God, according to the Kabbalists, is being, 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 and that, by the way, is a grammatically sound sentence. On the other hand, humankind and the world, the microcosm and macrocosm, are also both called ayin and yesh. Ayin because we have no independent existence at all, and, compared to true being, we are, to quote the Yom Kippur liturgy, but like shattered pottery, dry grass, withered buds, passing shadows, wispy clouds, blowing winds, dancing dust, like a fleeting dream and scattered poetry, compared to God's true existence pulsating with eternal life. But, we are also that which is yesh, that which is corporeal, material, wet and heavy, self-aware and egoic, that which needs to be contended with and unraveled. If at this point you're a little confused, and these categories are all blurring into one another, that's good, because that is precisely the point. Because in reality, there are no categories. According to Chassidot, as we've been saying, all is God, all is you, you are Ayn, and you are Yesh. And all that's left is the journey, the dance, the process of realizing exactly that. In this class, we looked at the directionality of Chassidot, the drive towards transcendence, towards Ratsui, and the return to reality, to Shuv, how those two directions play out in the divine realm, in the human realm, and in the metaphysical realm between being and nothingness. Stay tuned for next week, where we'll be looking at how these ideas unfold and play out in the life and spiritual work of the individual, their community, and the world around them. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to the patrons who support this channel and allow us to continue producing this content. Thank you for watching. Keep seeking.